This is the Beards of Business with your hosts Al Beard and Beard One. What's going on, everyone? I am Dana Bluin. I'm joined by my good friend Suburban Beard, aka L Beard, aka Josh, and you're here with us on the Beards of Business. We're going to be talking about how to start your business, how to run a business properly in the sourcing space, especially if you're looking to do import export. And that's one of the things that a a lot of people are really interested in, in this space. So we're going to start going over essentially the the fundamentals of business in in that aspect. So I'm really excited for it for that very reason today. Absolutely. Josh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself so the listeners know who you are. Absolutely. I am Josh Suburban Beard. Uh, on YouTube, and I am a full-time reseller, and I guess recently a full-time YouTuber, and uh, I've been looking for ways to grow and source for my business, and that's where Dana has come in, and we've been talking about it for quite a while now, and uh, excited to see what I can learn and, and grow as far as the business side of it, and not just the sourcing side, so yeah. Yeah, it's nice to be able to look at a, a business and, and come up with, and honestly, the strong fundamentals of a business are are really important because if you have good fundamentals in business and you're running your business properly, then you're always going to have the opportunity to improve and expand, and you're going to be better positioned to take advantage of opportunities. Absolutely. Now I look at I see we have uh Brian Oaks Haiti Hunter in the uh the chat appears to be the only one thus far. <laughs> this is my first time going live on my channel. So Brian, we appreciate you showing up. You might be the only one for a little bit. It's all right, as we're growing and getting into it. And yeah. I mean the, part of your channel though is too. I mean, that's the part is there's a lot of people in Thailand, you know, that yeah. are sub to you and stuff like that, and around the world, honestly, and time zones screw that up sometimes. So yeah, so yeah, a lot of my subscriber base does come from does come from the US, but also Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia, Philippines are, are big countries for me on my channel. So yeah, it's very early for us over here in Southeast Asia. Uh Nick Berenz, I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong, Nick. Uh just joined the chat. How are you doing? So, Josh, talk to me about some of the, the fundamentals of your business now. Talk to me about where you're at and, and how you're approaching your business. So, as of a month ago, I, I kind of call it restructuring or regrowing, right? So, yep. I had a plan in action. You know, I had set a business plan. Like, I've talked with Dana about many different business plans, how to put them together, ways of looking at them, things like that. And so, I kind of put one together for me of how reselling and sourcing works and it was working completely how I wanted it to. You know, I was slowly growing Amazon. I was buying the right stuff for eBay and then I wanted to scale. And when I first went to scale, it screwed me up because I hadn't done, I won't say enough research, but I hadn't done the long-term research of the items I was buying. Cause I had literally gotten to a point where I was paying close to one to $2 and net profiting I mean, sometimes 30, $40. And some of the stuff that I started buying, I would net profit four or $5, but my cost per item was sometimes even less than a penny, right? Like, cause I was buying so many of different products, but then 
I hadn't factored in all those numbers, right? Like, so if I'm sending out 30 items, that's 30 poly mailers, I, you know, I'm sending out with it. And I, I hadn't done that factoring when I scaled and then I got behind with it. And so I kind of had to literally stop everything, clear out, re-get what I knew would work <laughs> and kind of bring it back from there. And that's, that's also when I kind of hammered it home. I'm like, okay, Dana, I'll come to Thailand. Well, actually my wife was secretly talking to Dana, but he won't admit it because he's, he's not happened. a snitch. <laughs> But she told me, so it's okay. You know? I don't care what she says. I'm telling you it never happened. Conversation never happened. But the only reason well, I even bring it up happened. to him is because, like, that's where my wife and I like, – my wife's so awesome, right? She was doing it because she knows how bad I wanted to get out to Thailand. And with a family of five, it's not the easiest thing to just take off and be like, see you later. <laughs> yeah. Be back in a month. Right. <laughs> so, but, you know, the opportunity is arising where it's not going to be a problem and I'm excited about it. And so that's what I'm like, okay, this is, I need to learn how to do this. And honestly, that other part of going out there is the networking side of it. You know, I, the, the amount of people you've met and yes, they're obviously, you know, they're not all resellers, right. Or, or manufacturers and stuff like that, but there's so many people just to meet because there's business avenues that I could get into that I don't even know about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just through meeting other people. So that's, that's, you know, I know going a little off topic in a sense, but yeah. Well, that's one of the things that we are working on when you come out here is sourcing quality goods for you to, to resell. So in finding items that are low enough cost that you can identify a good profit on, cause you want to have solid margins to run your business. So that's one of the things that we have to find. I remember when you kind of, when you first got started, it was slowly going for you. And then you had some, you had some really big wins early on. And yep. I think you made a mistake that a lot of people who are new to business make is that you assume those early wins were the norm and you sort of went full steam ahead. Well, the, 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 to rephrase that. So the, the early wins are still my norm. That's the crazy part. But I, I went the wrong way looking for the same wins. Hmm. And now, I remember you, you have a plan that you want to get to this 10 by 10 by 10 thing that you keep talking about. That's exactly your here, right. Yes. So explain to uh, the people who are watching what that 10 by 10 by 10 is. So I got this 10 by 10 by 10 from Chris, who you've you've met before uh, from uh, Daily Refinement, used to be called 10K in the Bay and changed his name to Daily Refinement. And so it's the unicorn in any industry, I, even if you're a reseller or a manufacturer, right? The, the same concept applies. 10 items that sell 10 times a day for a $10 net profit, you make a thousand dollars net a day. Hmm. That's my unicorn. 10 items, 10 times a day for $10 profit, thousand dollars net a day. Net profit, it's yes. Sourcing those, those 10 items that can sell at that frequency, though, correct? Correct. And that's so. What that was where it had happened was so I didn't have the, I guess, money, right? Or the liquidation what, <laughs> of liquidity. So, yeah, liquidity of the 10 items that could sell times a day that I wanted to get. Yeah. And I wasn't in a position to do it, but I found other items where I'm like, okay, these all sell over 10 times a day. My net profit's lower, but I got in too deep with all of them and way too much of it. You know, yeah, and I know it, that you and you were also looking at items, like you said before, you were buying items that you didn't understand the cost of reselling and you weren't making great margins on a lot of things. Then you would buy stuff that I would tell you we would talk and Josh and I talk probably every day. 
over every day <laughs> while yeah, we're sleeping. Times. <laughs> and uh, at like crazy hours because we're Sorry, at 12 hours split. But Josh will tell me, oh, I picked up a a VCR with no remote uh, for like 15 cents. I'm like, that's 15 cents you just wasted. And like eight hours later, he'll be like, yeah, I just sold it for like 150 bucks. <laughs> Out of your mind. Like, why, why are people buying this? But Josh has a good eye for this kind of retro tech that sells well. Unfortunately, there's a very limited quantity of some of that stuff. And it's like it's always going to be available, right? Right. And and that's the thing where I was getting to. So like that's another part about like I still want to keep with that that vintage product, that type of stuff. And that's where yeah. like I didn't have the backbone of being like, OK, I'm going to go buy 10 storage units, mm. right? Like I'm going to go buy this and that and stuff like that. So I'm still was relying upon people selling them for cheap on Facebook or, you know, finding them at a cheap in an online auction. Yeah. And obviously that's, you can't run a business just doing one-offs. It, it'll never work. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like even uh, Jay, who you had on the other day, he can't run his, you know, clothing business off of like one fabric. He's like, this yeah. is the only black fabric I want to do. Yeah, absolutely. And we got uh, Brian Oaks saying that you can do that with consumables that uh, people are constantly replenishing. Absolutely. You know, if you have an item where people are constantly going after replenishing it, it's a great business to be in. They happen to be very competitive spaces, though. Toothpaste, toilet paper, bullets, you know, the right. things people use frequently. Any of that stuff, you know, and that's it is a, a hard thing. So I because I think uh, I can't remember the name of it. Um, it was the one thing Daily Refinement said is uh, like in a day, there's one company. They're like one of the first that was on eBay. And they sell so close like two hundred eighteen thousand items a day, and their net thousand items a day. Yeah, but their net profit per item is I think it averages out to like a dollar eighty or two dollars and eighty cents. It was something that low. Dollars per day. Yeah. Yeah, which is still an amazing number, but the amount of what are they selling? Do you know? All cell phone accessories, pretty much, and they've gotten into like other things as well. Um, but it's the cords, cables, anything yeah. tech-wise. You know, that's a space that I, I've found interesting over the past couple of years. Jib actually has a friend who's who's in that space, has a, a shop in Thailand, and there's in Bangkok. And there are literally probably a million cell phone accessory shops in Bangkok. There's a mall in the city called MBK. I'll take you when you come out here next month that is essentially has a whole floor full of cell phone accessory shops. Every shop on the floor is cell phone accessories. And I've always thought, how can all these people be in business? You know, and each of those accessory shops will do repairs. They sell screen protectors, all these things. But right. There's so many of them. It's like literally they're next to each other, across from each other, the whole floor. That's all there is. And, you know, you have to think, Okay, so how can they all be in business? But their margins are actually really good because talking to Jib's friend, you realize, oh, there's only, you know, X. They are only paying like a, a dollar or a penny for this item. Or less. Sometimes less, yeah. And one of the things that uh, we bought some cables from her that normally resell for like uh, just about $12. And she told us what they cost her. And I mean, it's a quality cable, comes in nice packaging, and it's an Apple cable. Anyone who's an iPhone user knows that uh, iPhone, the cables, if you buy aftermarket non-Apple cables, they tend to not work so well. These actually work very well. So 
you know, they're finding niches. They're able to like really get good margins on these items. So sometimes they'll hold inventory for forever and just oh, yeah. wait for it to sell. Now, Josh yeah. doesn't have that, that opportunity. As long as you're, you're holding inventory, it's costing you money. Right. Right. Uh, exactly. And that is... You look at your garage, you've got an interesting workspace. It's slowly dwindling, luckily, as I clean it out and organize it. Like, cause I'm at the stage where this section here is stuff that just needs to be put somewhere, like organized or tossed is how I do it. <laughs> uh, I see uh, Brian's asking the relationship between a couple of the items I listed. It's just things that people use frequently. It was, it was meant as a joke. I don't know if any of you guys have ever been to Manila, but uh, gun culture there is very similar to like Texas. There are people walking around with uh, six shooters on their waist and, uh, I'm I'm sure that a bullet in they have a a lot of murders there, so bullets are often used. <laughs> That's a replenishable for sure. Absolutely. Now, so Josh, one of the things I I kind of miss from your channel is you used to make the you used to have these um the, these really great videos where you're just going through stuff you got in bulk, so and you'd be like ripping bags <laughs> apart. And uh, one of the things that that we we would see with that is that you have all this organize it but at the same time like we get to see your workspace which was crazy packed with inventory at one point would you have like 300 posters movie posters stacked up in a corner yeah those are all gone yeah i remember you sold that whole all of them in one batch right well a couple so it was a couple lots of a uh, hundred and then there was a lot of 500 that somebody bought okay so and then so that, that cleared up the last. Off. Yeah, there's a there's a couple loose ones here and there. Um but nothing you got a point break poster. Right, yep. <laughs> but uh yeah, so it's the, the real point break. Don't be bringing me any of that uh remake crap. Right? No, 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 no. The original, my friend. Only the yeah, original. That, that remake doesn't exist. <laughs> it's a fake timeline. Yeah. Now, one of the other things, so when we talk in business and in larger business, for those of you guys who don't know my, a lot of my backgrounds with uh, in the tech world and in tech startups and media startups, you know, the unit economics of what you're doing has to make sense. And so I know that you're doing a lot of online auctions, Josh, where essentially your time is buying stuff in front of the computer and you do your, your penny sourcing and everything at Dollar General. And um, you recently had a bearded flipper on your uh, bad boys of reselling live stream. And I, I thought it was interesting to hear him break down his unit economics, uh, just not in the most technical of way, but he was referencing a, a video he did with uh, millennial Mo monopoly. Yep. Monopoly for millennials. That was put out yeah. uh, Walmart exclusive. Yeah, and he started driving around, and he lives in, what, Alabama, and he was yep. in, like, Tennessee or some other states, and he did, like, almost a 1,000 miles in 22 hours, and he started to break down because he was saying a lot of people would give him a hard time. Well, what about your gas? And he was he broke it down, and he gets, like, 22 miles per gallon, and he spent, like, 70-something dollars on gas, but he gets to claim, uh, do a tax deduction on how many miles he drives. So the gas was actually, he was at a positive at the end of the day. Yep. And then he even talked about like, well, with, you know, maintenance, he's like, I, I needed an oil change after that. So th there were some costs, but if you factor it in, he made X thousands of dollars 
you know, from just on that trip, because I think he said almost all of those games sold before he got back. Yeah, like he actually had pulled the uh, listing down because he had to get all of them out in like 24 hours. And he's like, I can't do any more than this. Like, it's humanly impossible. Like, I don't even have this. Like, between even family, there's not enough people. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I love Dana's voice. That's what I've been yelling at him for a year. <laughs> so, yeah, one of the things to, to really consider in one of the things to really consider is that you're going out like you do. I saw the other day you did like six or seven of the penny deals. Right. And obviously there's YouTube content that comes with that or penny exactly. shopping. You went to the, the DGs. So like how much are you used to, cause you have a similar vehicle to me. You're driving a, a minivan, you, you know, your gas mileage is okay. It's not great. You're not driving like a Prius. 21 so miles you, of a gallon. You're doing 21. Nice. Oh yeah. But, I mean, it's not fantastic, but it's not horrible. No, not for a minivan with, you know, it's, it's yeah. amazing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I remember, uh, I, what I had the, remember I had the Yaris when I oh, was yeah. in Ohio. I don't know how you fit like in that thing, dude. 46. Yeah. That, yeah. But that car is made for like a three foot dude. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I'm not a small guy. I'm definitely not a small guy. Neither is Josh. No, but I'm bigger than Josh. So uh, one of the things to, to think about is like, what are those hidden costs that go into though all of the, the sourcing that you do? And I know, like you said, you're buying a lot of stuff on, on auction online and start to look at those unit economics really in detail. The, the other thing about those unit economics is the, the further you dive into them, Josh, the better you're going to have an opportunity to improve them. Right. So even... And with what you're doing too, one of the things that I would almost recommend is looking not just at gas, but how can you optimize the route for time and fuel? And so you might be able to find routes that like, oh, I can hit twice as many stores that are in my sourcing on certain days if I optimize this route and I do it at X time, eliminate the traffic. Obviously, there's some variables there that are outside your control. You know, they got the Palmer ribbon rock going and it's saying, you know, you can't drive anywhere. Yeah, I won't. I, I barely drive into Parma. I, well, there's a new there's a store I added to my list, but I literally have my like so penny shopping wise again, like even Jordan said in the comments, like penny yeah. shopping, your big, big, biggest expense is fuel. Like that's yeah. just, you know, because everything's a penny. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so but it's, you know, I it's a literally a circle route. So mm -hmm. I start at my house in Olmstead Falls and I drive all the way out up to one thirtieth in Middleburg Heights. It's basically like North Olmstead circle around. Um, for those of you who don't know, it's it's about maybe ten miles of driving. Um, but we go, you know, early enough Gosh, in the morning. Nowhere. Right. <laughs> but you know, we leave. So I have a morning show that day. So we leave at about nine thirty. It's after rush hour before lunch. Perfect so timing. it's you know, least traffic and I get back, so it gives me time to edit and everything else. But getting like even with those metrics on the other stuff, like so when I do the online auction stuff. I'll usually bid here and there, like while I'm editing videos, you know, so I don't, I don't sit there and stare at the screen, like two hours left. Let's see what happens. You know, like I'll bid my max and see how it goes, but I'll plan a route. Like some of them are, are out of my control where it's like, you can only pick it up on this day, these random two or three hours and I deal with it. But a majority of them are, you can come like Monday through Wednesday. So I'll wait and go and, and balance and be like, okay, I can go pick up all my stuff in one day, yeah. you know, cause then I can list it all. Oh, that's the other thing, listing. I know that you spend 
a lot of time listening. You've actually gotten it down to a science. I'd like you to talk about like some of the your workflow for listing and improving those unit economics. So that's the best. The thing I'm the best at is the listing side. <laughs> you weren't you weren't at the beginning though, because I remember you talking about the research for listing early on, and now yes. you sort of you've got tools, you've got methods that you're using. So you're you would spend days listing before when you first started this, and now you're like. 30 minutes I listed 5,000 items I'm good to right <laughs> it, you know well it was it was weird because out of all the things I've been good at my entire life the one thing I've always been amazing at is knowing how to search for something on Google right mm -hmm. and I never I hit when I started doing this full-time I did not translate that and process my real life day-to-day -day things of what I do just for to make a meme, right? I'll have fun with a meme in seconds, done. But like, yeah. then looking up a teapot or something, right? Some random thing, like it would take me hours of searching because I'm I'm trying to search through eBay and search through Etsy and all this other stuff. But then like, it literally was like one of those items, like three months in, I'm just like, hold on. I'm like, I turned it over. I saw this logo and I typed the design of the logo into Google, but the way Google would search for it and it pulled it right up. I'm like, okay. I've been doing this all wrong. <laughs> you know, this is one of the things that we're also having a challenge with with the import export side of the project we're working on was sourcing items from Thailand. Because, and we talked about this on your channel on Monday, that I know an item by one name, and I'll, I'll have to basically send you photos and a description, and then Josh has to be like, "You have no idea what this is. I have to really figure it out and break it down for what." you know people in in this country want to buy it as or, or what they would recognize it as so uh, i think we gave the example before of elephant pants yeah and you were like i have no clue like, I'm, you're like i'm not selling elephant leather pants dana that's illegal. right <laughs> that's illegal. yeah i'm sorry bro listen they're ivory on the yeah. side it's not happening not happening not happening <laughs> so but one of the things that we're finding is you know trying to come up with a methodology that allows Josh to streamline the, the research to determine if an item is viable or not. So it's me knowing what we can source an item for him figuring out, okay, it can sell for this month that, and this is what's going to cost to get it to the U S that's a viable chunk of that's a viable product. But now how do we find, how do we find out how much it's selling for is that description. And right. figuring out where it sells who buys it and if there's josh you talk a lot about the the actual uh volume of sales right yeah with an and you want to do 20 items minimum when you come to thailand right that, that's my goal because it's honestly i i relate like as i'm looking for replenishable i've related to like you know starting a business like one in ten businesses fail right or something like that i don't know the actual numbers right no it's actually so if in the startup world that i come from about 95 percent of businesses fail okay so out of 20 items <laughs> yeah. you know i mean i don't want to go through 95 to find one that works but um well i mean well that's the, the thing that's interesting is that you're you're identifying items that are have high sell rates already yeah, like high sell through, and it, and it's it's one of those high sell throughs to where the price is still holding up in the market, even though there's competition. Because a lot of times on some of these items, when there's competition, everybody just kills their price, and that's why you can get a phone case for a dollar fifty. You know what I mean? Because there's so many of them, and some of these items we've been looking at, they they hold their value because there there's a lot of people selling them, but there's a lot of different types of all of it. You know, when it comes down to color, style, like all that kind of thing. Pattern, yeah. 
Exactly. And it's a whole different, you know, ball game with that. So that's where the sell through comes through. And honestly, that's like the been the the part that I thought was going to be the biggest struggle was finding items. And like the first three you threw at me, I'm like, boom, done. We got them. Like, <laughs> you know, but like and the other side of that is being able to speak Thai, go to the go to the wholesalers and be able to identify, like, OK, work out a deal. Exactly. You know, that's been the like that was like I can source all I want to manufacturers. But yeah. with no inside person, no inside whatever, they're like, okay, here's 5,000. And like, that was the thing we got into on our discussion Monday, like quality control. Yeah. You know, like, how are we going to know, you know, like, and somebody's there and it's like, oh, hey, Dana, can you go uh, visit or sleep there for the week? And <laughs> hopefully yeah, they make it right. One of the things that we're, we're playing with here, these are, uh, they might be a little shiny, uh, but the cover in plastic, these are uh, a type of inhaler that we're looking at. And uh, trying, I'm trying all the different ones to see which one burns the least. Right, I love those things. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I do too. And it's funny. I, I recently I recorded an interview with a uh, professional MMA fighter, actually the Full Metal Dojo uh, welterweight champion. Stopped by the studio. We had a uh, a conversation, and actually, I had one. I had it. I have it here. This is this is the one I was using at the time before we started the show. And you basically just. Yep. Cleared your nose right out. And uh, he was like, Oh, dude, I love these inhalers. He's like, Every time I go back to the US, he's like, I'll bring a handful and guys at the gyms buy them up. And so he's getting ready to go to England. And he's saying, In England, oh, he's already got guys asking, Can you bring me like 10 of these things? <laughs> I went a little too deep with that one. Uh, oh, see? <laughs> yeah. So, oh, we got El Cubanaso in the house. What's up, brother? Yeah, he's building a pretty awesome ass system so he can get to uh do a little faster. His editing's taking a little too long when he's trying to render and all that stuff. So oh, yeah. he's got a new computer computer build he's putting together. Uh, he's waiting for his graphics card. You know, the uh, Bitcoin craze killed uh, the GPU market essentially. Yeah. Everything's crazy expensive. But yeah, back to items that, that we're talking about and, and the economics of those. And I think one of the things we're going to do is actually go to like the marketeer, look for a lot of stuff. And I think maybe we talk about the uh, the haberdashery aspect of the trip, Josh. So one of the things that I have a haberdashery here in uh, lots of Josh, the, the beardless <laughs> Josh is here. This is the beard only zone. <laughs> we're we're going to make an exception for you, a lot of Josh. Oh, wrong, wrong one. Here we go. It was too quick for me. We're making an exception for a lot of Josh. Actually, we're, when jo when Suburban Beard is here in Thailand, we're going to hunt down a, a face with a beard, and you're going to send you back like a leather face style uh, beard. <laughs> beard <to wear. laughs> See if that makes it through customs. It'll be so, fine. So I have a haberdashery here in, in Thailand, in Bangkok, and our best-selling item is a uh, handmade salvage denim tote. And we, we have them made in a, a few different colors, and they're done with both uh, Thai denim and Japanese denim. And even here in Thailand, they sell for north of 100 U.S. So Josh, the bourbon beard, is going to take back probably about 40, depends on how many uh, we get done here. Right. And he's going to sell them on consignment for us in the States. So he, he said, I'm going to try to blend it in. <laughs> We see you, beardless boy. 
Actually, I saw your uh, on your live chat the other day. Uh, the Josh's are reselling. A lot of Josh is a, a West Point grad, so maybe they just scared the the facial hair right off him at West Point. That daily shaving. It's a um, torturous routine. Yeah, when I was in the army, I, I got away with having a little, a bit of a beard for a little while. But um, yeah. So the uh, you're gonna be selling some of the haberdashery items, and you actually looked at these, and the price that we sell them for here, you're actually saying was a bit low compared to the U.S. market. It's just that the, the shipping from Asia kills kills the opportunity for us, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it looks like there's some out there where we can get stuff here, even if it takes some time. You know what I mean? Or we're just gonna, you know, I'll, I'll George Jung it and stop out there every week. Yeah. If I have to, so <laughs> George, I might be the George Jung of uh, salvage denim, right? Uh, and I, and I, I come back and like, why are you wearing seventy-five pairs of women's pants? Listen, guy, <laughs> I'm from Cleveland. <laughs> what? So, are there flea markets, so to speak? Um, not really in the same sense. The, there aren't flea markets here, like there there are in the U.S. But we do have like uh, night markets. There's one that. Um, I lovingly refer to as the hipster night market called JJ green where it's uh there's like music and it's full of like sort of hipster vintage stuff, but you don't tend to find deals at, at places like that. It's knowing where we have a whole wholesale market. There's a whole mall in, in Thailand. They love malls. And a lot of that has to do with it's so hot here. That's right funny. now winter time. This is winter. Like, in the studio, we have the aircon on, but the rest of the uh, the office and the house, we're not running the aircon today because it's only 85 degrees. Same yesterday, but most of the year, it's approaching 100 degrees, over 90 degrees, and like crazy humid. So malls See, maybe, are a big part of the culture here. Maybe There's I should come mall. in the summer. Yeah, yeah, don't come, don't come in May. See, I love that weather, man. I'm weird like that. You don't want you don't want none of that. You, you want none of that. <laughs> There's a mall in downtown in the middle of Bangkok. It has its own uh, SkyTrain station called Siam Paragon. They have a Bentley and Aston Martin dealership on the third floor. Wow. Yeah, third floor. Like a, yeah. There's also like a BMW dealership, a Mini Cooper dealership. Uh, there's a Rolls Royce, Lamborghini, uh, Ducati. There's a few. There's like a whole stretch of the main aisle with dealerships so and then the first floor is like all the louis vuitton prada that type of stuff but it's like this really premium mall but wow. then there's a mall that is just dedicated to wholesale like uh fashion wholesale stuff fast fashion things there's a whole fabric market where my uh, my denim supplier is in the fabric market in chinatown so if I need to buy a bolt of a full bolt of denim, I go visit them and I see what they have, or I can order from one of the mills in Japan or one of the mills in Thailand through them. They're my merchant. So there, there are markets dedicated to wholesale, but we don't have flea markets in the same way. Some people, there's another mall called MBK where a lot of foreigners go that people might consider like a flea market because that's the, the mall I was talking about where there's a whole floor and that entire floor is dedicated to the cell phone accessories, 500 plus shops only selling cell phone accessories. I like Jordan's. So there's not some crazy old bastard trying to flip shitty fishing poles. 
<laughs> no. So we have in, in Bangkok, there's something called, uh, we have something called the Klongs. So it's our, our canal system in the city. And they're incredibly dirty. I, I often joke that they're just full of hepatitis. <laughs> oh, hepatitis um, pounds. <laughs> yeah. My, my previous... My previous uh, place I lived before we moved into this uh, the studio building was um, in an area called Klong Toy, which is like not the the greatest hood, but it's like right in the middle of the city. And Klong Toy is like super dirty. There were days that I would come out of the building and it smelled like uh, someone was making cheese out on the street. Like, what's that like dairy smelling thing? And that's the Klong. But I would see people fishing in there, and then there'd oh. be like someone selling fish like grilled fish next to the the sidewalk i'm like oh no so they right in in haiti they have peep markets secondhand clothes sent in bulk from the u.s huge profits in it salvation army sells donated clothes by the pound wow so do you get like any of those uh did i miss that oh here it is so do you have like the um? Do you get like those old rock shirts? Like if you've ever been to Africa, you'll see guys wearing like vintage ACDC shirts and stuff like that. And uh, that that's where that that stuff comes from is these big bulk shipments of clothing. Yeah, see, that'd be cool to see because I wonder how much of that stuff makes it over there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I have a friend. He was just in Kenya in in Nairobi, and he was telling me like you see a bunch of people wearing uh like old vintage U.S. shirts, like ACDC. And he was saying like the, the, the actual real thing. So that that's one of the things to think about. I was like, wow, like he, he was like, I want to go buy all these shirts because you can buy them for like a quarter each and bring them back to the U.S. and sell them because people pay like 50 bucks. That's what Brian just said. He says, yeah, they sell for 25 cents. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so like he, he could buy them for like insane thing in Africa, buy them for like a quarter and bring them back and someone would pay $50 for like a Grateful Dead concert t-shirt. That's the real deal. See, there's gotta be the loophole, right? Like I, that see, that's, that's where it's at Dana. I need, instead of them sending them to another country selling by the pound, be like, okay, listen, I'll pay the buy pound price and just drop them off at my house. Yeah. Cut out the middleman. Yeah. I wonder if you could, if you could go to like a, but then you're essentially getting anything. Right. And, yeah, and we have like in Thailand, there's not we don't have those vintage shirts as much. I wish we did, but we get a lot of really funny shirts that where like people are printing uh shirts with really bad English. Oh, right, and right. So like they, they see something somewhere, they get the idea for the concept. In Thailand, uh, for those of you guys who don't know, it has the worst English proficiency in all of Southeast Asia. So they do this. They do this big uh, test every year with all the countries, and Thailand's always at the bottom. They actually got worse between last year and this year. But one of the things that I, I find just hilarious is the, the quality of misprinted or miswritten shirts. Like uh, I once saw a shirt. This guy had like a picture of a, a guy on a scooter because people drive scooters out here more than big bikes. And so he's on a little, like, a Honda, like, Wave scooter, a Honda, like, Fino. And it says, being to be wild. Not born to be wild, being to be wild. <laughs> uh, another time I saw this old grandpa-looking dude, like, 80 years old with a cane, walking through the uh, market. And Fat Man the Flipper, you making fun of how I talk, Dana? Not yeah. at all. 
so this old grandpa dude walking through the market and he's got a pink shirt on that says, I have the pussy. I make the decisions. <laughs> now, either this dude is like an OG pimp or he has no idea what that, what that shirt says. Oh, that's amazing, dude. <laughs> yeah. Like, but that's the funny part, right? Because you know he's not wearing it to be funny. Yeah, no, he just, that was a shirt he got, someone gave, like, one of his grandkids gave it to him as a joke, and he's like, I'll wear that. Right. He's yeah. like, what's wrong with this? It's like when you're walking through, uh, like, on a, on a summer day, and you see some old guy has his hat turned sideways to block the sun on the side of his face. He's not trying to look uh, hip-hop. He's just, you know, trying to block the sun. Exactly. Yeah, well, so going back, though, actually, it's, I, I kind of want you to talk about that. Like, I know why, right? But uh, from my flipping life, Jordan, Dana, so what made you decide to pick up shop in day yep by moving to Thailand? <laughs> so, yeah, there's a, okay, so I'll talk a bit about the uh, the backstory. I was, um, I came out here six years ago. I was uh, an engineer in the U.S. And to me, I, I was an engineer. It was essentially a dead-end job. You know, I have a, Josh and I both worked for a very large telecom company. And, you know, I was, I was doing very well, but I wasn't super happy. You know, I had a master's degree and I was, just felt like I wasn't really getting challenged. The work that they were giving us at the time, especially in the Cleveland market, wasn't exciting. So I said, all right, I want to get, I want to quit this job. I want to do something else. And so I started applying to PhD programs all around the world. So looking at uh, Hong Kong, Singapore, a couple in Europe, a couple in the U.S., Thailand, uh, Malaysia, and just sending out applications and applying for scholarships and a few other things. So I got into a few programs in the U.S., and just couldn't afford it. It was like $200,000 is what I figured it was going to cost me to get a PhD. And I'm not really, especially as an entrepreneur, I don't advocate like education a whole lot. Like I, I think the, the most of what you would learn at university, you could learn on your own. Like I didn't, I had a master's degree and I, I only did it so that I could have a, a better chance of getting a better engineering job. And so and I'd been an engineer previously. I'd been an entrepreneur previously. I started my first company in 98. And so you know, I, I wasn't really super interested in being an engineer. It was just a better option at the time. And I was like, well, maybe I'll do this and I'll get a PhD and then I can use that for consulting or being a professor if I really want that down the road. And so I was like, hey, give me a chance to, to quit here if I can get a scholarship to kind of cover my expenses somewhere. Right. So I figured I got into two universities in the U.S., in, the, in uh, Pennsylvania and New York, and I was, figured it was going to be like around 200000 250000 for me to complete a program. And I ended up getting into all the programs I applied to overseas as well, and a few of them offering me scholarships. And I landed on Thailand for, for a number of reasons, but I ended up uh, selling my house, selling my cars, packing up, jumping on a plane and, and moving to Asia. Like I literally went into the office and was like, yeah, I'm, in two weeks, I'm moving to Asia to go work. So I uh, to go do a PhD. So catch you all later. Right. And uh, I got out here and, you know, since I've been out here, I got really much more involved in the startup scene. So 
I at first was a chief data scientist for a telematics company and uh, did a lot of their data design. And uh, I've worked with Startup Malaysia. There's a whole 1MDB uh, story in there somewhere that Josh knows uh, all the details about. That might come out at some point in the future, but... Hopefully, legally, you can. It was a good story. Yeah. <laughs> there was... Yeah, I, I, did a, uh, I did a podcast for a, uh, a Malaysian network where I traveled to every country in Southeast Asia. Interview, I've interviewed prime ministers, uh, entrepreneurs, uh, entrepreneurs. CEOs of billion dollar startups, big companies. And uh, yeah, and there's, like I said, there's a whole 1MDB story for those of you guys who know what uh, 1MDB is. It's quite funny, but there's it's not, story. it's not IMDB. So it's, I'm on IMDB also. But. You are. Yes. Is a referee. Uh, actually, I, was, I think I've got like three entries on there now because, uh, some Filipino company licensed footage from my YouTube channel for a TV show. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. The um, the sex slave thing. The sex slave thing. That's right. Yeah. It's like, occasionally I do some acting out here. Just like whenever they're like they need a fat dude with a beard and a bald spot, they'll call me up and be like, "Hey, can you be in this movie?" Or, "Hey, can you do this?" And uh, yeah, so I, I did some refereeing. So yeah, I've, I've been out here for a while. I've done a lot of things. It's, it's a long, complicated story. We won't get into it all. But Josh knows all the details over the years and years because we've stayed in touch since uh, since I left. So, what do you think the craziest part is about being out here, Josh? Um, man, that's a tough one. So, well, see, honestly, the funny part is I we connected and became closer as friends after you left. Unfortunately, yeah. So you know it was learning a lot of your history and then going out there because you'd tell me something be like, Oh yeah, I just was, I, I had to run out and ref a couple MMA matches. I'm like, what do you know about MMA? You're an engineer for, for cable company. Like, what do you like? You know, like, no, 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 no. Look, I used to be an MMA and you sent me the picture of you with the shaved head. And you know, like, yeah. you know, I learned more of your backstory. So like everything seemed crazy and outlandish until you're like, Oh, well no, that you learned that before or, Oh no, you did this. But if you're like, Oh, hey, man, how's it going? Yeah, I used to work with you with Cox. Well, I was refing MMA, went to Thailand for a doctorate. I'm like, what? None of this makes sense, you know? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, we, we knew each other in uh, in Ohio, but we weren't super close. I think you've been to my house a few times, but, yeah, we weren't, like, super tight when we were living there. And then we, we did get much closer, and we hung out when I came back in uh, 2015. Yep. I was working with um, – I went out to do some work with – uh CompTIA in Chicago. Yeah. And then there was a wedding in Ohio I went back for. And uh and then we I think we started hanging out a lot more during that trip. Yes. And yeah. Then, we hung out a lot and then like we met up for a quick meet the second day and then like you were just busy. You know what I mean? So yeah, I think I was only in Ohio like three or four days. Yeah. Yeah, because we were trying to plan another meetup, but I think because I think you were looking to extend it a day, but you just then yeah. you just couldn't. So it was Actually, it was during, remember, it was during that trip that the coup happened. Yes, that's right, because you were getting back, and you're like, Josh, I don't know if I'm going to be allowed off this train. I'm like, what train? You're like, there's a coup happening in Thailand. I don't know. If yeah, I'm... I flew back into a coup. So I was in the U.S. So that must have been, what, 2014, I guess? Yeah. 2015 is whenever the, previous, the last coup was in Thailand. I was there working for CompTIA. And Josh and I hung out, and I remember it was nighttime. I was checking my phone. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And Josh was like, what's up? I go, yeah, there was a coup, like, just now in Thailand. I don't know if I can go back home. Like, they may not let you back in. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, Josh is like, oh, that's fun. Uh, don't call me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I can't pick you up from this one, buddy. This <laughs> isn't, I had too much at the bar last night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, that didn't actually happen. I'm just, you know, referencing yeah. amusement. <laughs> But yeah, there was so th there's been some interesting times out here. But yeah, with the, me being out here, the interesting thing is the, the import export aspect of of this with the business side, and you know, business in Asia is much. It's different culturally. Business in Asia, you know, people do business differently. People function differently. But the unit economics, the metrics that you do, the best practices are still the same. Yeah. So if we're looking to to expand Josh's reselling into an import export aspect uh, through my business here and be able to export out to him and also with the haberdashery and doing the consignment stuff, you know, they're they're the same unit economics, the same metrics that we have to consider and then finding the cheapest way to get things back to him, you know, whether that's at bulk or not, flipping trash into cash. Yeah, Alex has done some awesome, like his most recent video, he, uh, some people wanted to get some rid of stuff that they were going to toss and he's like, I'll sell it for you. Don't even worry about it. And turns around like, you know, a few hundred, you know, a few hours later, a few hundred bucks richer, boom, done. Like nice. he didn't have to put money out to take care of it. He just had to meet some people. Now I know you did a, a house clean out with uh, some guy from Texas or something, right? Who the storage auctions. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I met up with him. That's what, you know, between him, uh, Grimes Fines, and What the Hales, Jeremy with What the Hales, like, I've really got into storage units. Like, it, you really, like, some some are a little more work than others to make money at, but I've never seen one of these guys lose money. And that's that's a whole nother side of the business that I want to get into, getting into running, like, auction sites and stuff like that. Like, I, I need my main core business that I want to do established, but I'm going to dabble in that. And for that extra, as opposed to buying the one-offs, buy a storage unit and go from there, you know? So, I mean, but that's not a replenishable like we were talking about before, right? Like right, we correct. Elephant pants, we can get unlimited supply of elephant pants. Right. Not elephant skin, elephant right. print fabric. Um, but if, so that's something we can get an unlimited supply of. But if doing storage units, each of those things is, is finite. Correct. And that that's where that difference comes in with that. Like that for me is more geared towards making that using more of that for YouTube content. Yeah. Right. And that's how I'm honestly looking at it. Like it's, I love the what's in the box side of the YouTube content. And so that like storage units is an easy way for me to accomplish that mm. um, with everything else. So I can still run my business on the backside and, you know, like we could still obviously keep the, the YouTube side of how the business is going and growing and how I've done with that. Um, but I like that other side of my channel that has the what's in the box. Yeah. Now I've seen some of your, your other stuff where you go to the storage units and you're, you're going through them and looking at them for embedding. You know, and it doesn't seem like you really get to inspect. It's a gamble every time correct it usually is honestly and a lot of them now they're all online yeah. so you don't even have the option to you know like there is one by me that has one every now and then that they actually let you go look at it ahead of time and that is actually i found i didn't know i thought that was the norm and they're like but i guess that is very rare hmm. so but i was like you know what i don't care i like it i like that what's in the box like but at the same time through honestly from youtube i've learned a lot of stuff right so 
if all the boxes, if you see like handprints over the edges of all the boxes from the dust, that means someone recently went through it all. Hmm. You know what I mean? It's little things like that. Of like every single box top is ripped open and like stuff kind of like looks like shuffled. They didn't throw it in there fast. Somebody went through it really fast and left the junk. So they got all the good stuff out and left left the junk there for you. Exactly. And that doesn't mean you still can't find gold in there, right? Like you can't, does it, you know, I've seen people buy stuff and you still stumble into something. Like someone's like, they went and got like their phones and paperwork and actual gold. <coughs> but that doesn't mean they didn't leave like their three Nintendos and N64 sets, right? Or all their original collections of, you know, dolls or some nonsense, you know? Yeah. And yeah, so, it, yeah, it definitely is a, a a risk though. I mean, there, there's I know I've seen some of the videos where people are like, oh, I saw this one thing that made me think I should buy this, you know. And a lot of it's knowing, having that sort of knowledge of what's available, right? Right, and that that's the thing where I'm when it comes to old stock, like right, like I call it old stock because it's easier. Is I've been blessed where I've never lost money. I'm not saying I'm perfect by any means, right? But I I just, I don't know. There's this feeling I get. It's, it sound weird, but I look at something. And I'm like, I can make money off that, hmm. you know? And, but that'll be the hardest part for me doing that because I, I've gotten a lot better in as of recent, but I hate the idea of getting rid of something that I can make two bucks on. Yeah. No, obviously the amount of you think you can make 50 cents, you're going to list it. Right. And but that's where I've stepped away from. I'm like, you know, so like my new minimum is five dollars net profit on anything. Let me rephrase that. Anything new I buy, because there's stuff that I still have listed that sit in a box like it take more work to take it out of a box and take down the listing than it would just until it sells. So um, that stuff I'm keeping up there. But anything new, like I stay at that five dollars net profit. Hmm. And because the, the cost, like literally over a three-year period, if I let it sit on eBay and just relist itself, let's say I paid a dollar for the item, I'll literally be over three years, I think it's $2. So now I'm $3 into the item. So as long as I'm still net profiting five, right, over a year, it goes up a dollar each year. I think it's actually might be a little less, but, you know, it, even factored into that, it's just sitting in a box. And we're not talking large stereo equipment, right? Like we're talking a little trinket of some kind. Yeah. You know, and that's where, though, like come January, like actually, well, it was going to be January. Now it's going to be February. Well, I'm probably going to do the legwork in January. It won't get built till spring, but I, I want that shed built on my property hey, for all of this. Your, your new office. And I, I think it honestly, like that's the other side of business that I think is super important that I've learned this year is that mental side of business, right? Like, yes, it's on the other side of my garage wall behind me is where it's going to be, right? But especially in the summer, I come down here, come out the door, I'm sitting at my desk and I can do and operate everything, but so can the rest of the family. Yeah. So I'm also taking over part of their space, right? Like I'm taking over like, like, you know, like, oh great, dad's working. I can't get my bike right now. Mm. You know, like obviously I stop working and blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, I don't go yelling like, oh, you can't get your, you know, but it's like, I need this. It's funny as it is, even though it's, you know, 30 feet that way, it's a separation. separation. Yeah. Right. Like even yours, you're on a separate floor of your house. You know what I mean? And it's not a trend. Like no one has to walk through there, like through the wall behind you to get into the kitchen, you know? (laughs) So that's why we moved actually. So we had a, our previous place was a much better location in the city. You know, the helipad and all that. It was, it was a dope spot, great views, but really what it 
Oh, you still there? We have the design studio. You froze so for a we second. Both work, we both work from home. And so having the ability for us to to separate where we work with where we live was important. And when we actually originally we had found a commercial building we were going to move into and the owner ended up selling the commercial building uh, right before we were supposed to move. So we ended up in this space where we have the two floors and we've got we live upstairs and the majority of downstairs is the design studio that's where her clients come for classes we have meetings down there uh brainstorm sessions our, our desks are all down there and then i have the small room up here for for a studio room she has a storage room up here as well but everything is separated and then we have a bedroom and a living room up here Okay. So it, it separates all the space force and gives us the ability to really control control our workflow. Because of just the personality types that her and I are, we spend 90% of our time on the first floor working. Right. So we're, we're constantly doing something downstairs, whether it's you know, online meetings, calls, editing, filming. Uh, we have an overhead rig for her to film for her YouTube channel there. She does instructional videos in Thai. So... You know, the, there's the separation of space, but it also it allows us to never have to commute, essentially, unless I'm going to meet a client off site. I, I am here. And I think that that's kind of what you want as well. You want that shed to be able to one, separate things out, but also be able to organize it 100 percent how you want to control the workflow. Exactly. And that's that's the biggest part for me is like having that separation like honestly it just, it'll help me from like just the organizational aspect yeah. right like this is my space there's there's literally nothing else in here but what i'm bringing in to it so i don't have to worry about oh wait this isn't mine this is my son's toy he left on the ground right <laughs> yeah. so old, sorry sorry josh jr shit yeah, yeah. right um and I think that's a big part. Like even all of our rapid prototyping goes on downstairs. So if, if any of you guys have seen my videos where I'm downstairs, that whole back half is, is the haberdashery kind of prototyping phase. And actually, I just realized I have, uh, this is one of the bags here. This is actually a prototype. It's a little bit smaller than the others, but this is a, a red line Japanese salvage uh, brown denim, incredibly rare. I bought the last two bolts of this, and this is one of the totes. It's just a, a dual front pocket has a separate bottom piece. It's all boxed, but these are, these are the bags we made. Even the handles are, are made from a Japanese black denim that gets stitched up like that. But yeah, that's our, our best selling item. Essentially actually that in that bag in the, uh, the dark, uh, over, over dyed indigo Japanese blue salvage is what, what it is. Now, if only you'd make a book bag. No, no. Dan and I have had an ongoing argument. I think a yeah. book bag is more universal, versatile, and easier to use than a messenger bag, tote bag, briefcase, anything other than a book bag. And I refuse to wear a book bag. <laughs> I get Absolutely. it. Like, I get both sides of our arguments. You know what I mean? Like, you can't completely deny that a book bag isn't convenient in certain situations. But no, I, I mean, if you're if you're a five year old going to school, yeah, it's it's great, right? right. That because that, that makes complete sense while you're traveling and riding on a scooter and your messenger bags flopping to the side and 
<laughs> throwing off your counterbalance on your I, unicycle. I, I used to be a professional bike messenger. I never wore a backpack as a bike messenger. Always wore, always wore a sling bag. But see, that's I still think it's a horrible comparison because I wouldn't want I would want some sort of sling bag, but it would still wrap around and not fall to the side and fly back and forth. Maybe we'll prototype one while you're out here. Josh needs that in a fanny pack. See, I had listen, I've got three fanny packs right now. I've got a I've got a triple uh, A one. I've got a, a, a Cox Cable uh, Pelicans uh, NBA one. I've got I have a big red one that stands out. Actually, um, I love the FSD welterweight champ Javier Truello was just asking me uh, to uh, buy uh, a fanny pack, so I might I might make a fanny pack for him, and if I do, then Josh gets one as well. We'll do one down in the haberdashery, dude. That'd be amazing, and I want a matching hat to go with some, it. I've got some uh, heavyweight duck canvas that I think uh, will be the perfect material for it. Dude, that'd be awesome. It'd hold up. I could, you know, because you can easily twist it around and like, and then, but dude, we need to make matching hats for my fanny pack. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do custom hats. That's our second best selling item yep. in the, the haberdashery is uh, match is custom made uh, ball caps. Now, that is the other thing though, getting getting into the clothes stuff. That is the one thing I'm excited to go there to do is I, I want to get my own pair of custom shoes made and I want my Santa jacket, my Santa suit. But it's, it's not just a suit, right? So don't when you hear Santa suit, don't think the typical Santa. It's a tuxedo Santa suit. <laughs> tuxedo Santa suit made from rush crushed red velvet. If if available, right? Like, if but it le- it has to be bright red at least, and hold up. But it needs to be a tuxedo style bright red, and the, I'll even get but like the white striping, right? So it's got to be the oh, white all lapel, right? And if they can get the fur. Then you know I'll I'll put the fur on like the fake yeah, fur. Uh, I I think go if you're going tuck style, do that that uh velvet crushed uh roll shawl lapel. Yeah. Dude, right on the lapel, then on the striping, that'd be that's good, dude. That'd be yeah. awesome. Then like snowflake cufflinks, Cumber, cummerbund. Right, dude. I'll, I'll, no, no, I want a vest. Three P. I want the vest. You want the vest? <laughs> well, and suspenders. Cool go with the cummerbund. Right. No, because that's I how could, I would rock it. I could put the pocket watch in the vest. It's easier. The vest is a bit too modern. Maybe do a vest and a cummerbund just to be right. Just to have both for no reason. And I'll do I'll do an ascot, a bow tie, and a tie, like <laughs> all simultaneously. Yeah. So just so everybody knows, I had a dream of wearing an ascot, and I had pretty much started looking into making my own and doing it. But my beard was getting so full, I gave up on my dream because no one would ever see. That I had like, yeah. dude, when my beard was longer, like my shirt would be unbuttoned to here because my beard would just take it off. I didn't even care. I was like, no one can see. <laughs> yeah, my hamburger meat all hanging out. If you guys, have, you guys are talking about fanny packs. Have you guys ever seen the fanny packs that look like uh, men's bellies with like uh, hair on them? Those are awesome. That's funny. He's had very limited for activities. Brian Oaks brings up a good point. He's like, look where it hangs. A lot of activity possible there. <laughs> <laughs> I have a one. You cut a hole in that fanny pack. <laughs> fanny pack <laughs> Take a fanny pack yeah that'll get you in trouble yeah that will get you in trouble not in thailand <laughs> that, well depends on where you go in thailand actually uh so it's funny i just i recorded an episode for uh, my channel yesterday with uh, a guy who i went to high school with we graduated high school together oh wow and he's working in the valley now he lives in san francisco 
and he, this is his second trip out to Thailand. He's actually looking to open a uh, a business either in Thailand or maybe Vietnam, and he's kind of exploring. But he's a finance guy. He has an MBA. He works in finance. So like we're talking about like what his opportunities might be, but we hadn't talked in 20 years. He sort of saw some of the things I was doing out here in Thailand. I think he saw my show I was producing in Malaysia and kind of reached out and he came out for a visit and he's just been, he fell in love on his first trip in Asia. He spent like two months traveling around. See, that's awesome. Well, he was, I heard that podcast. That was the one. Um, yeah. That you went to school with him. No, it's a different one. Different one. This is the guy who we just recorded yesterday. I haven't put it out yet. Oh, sorry. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he's coming out. He actually knows Woody too. Okay. So that's him awesome. and Woody met last time they were out here. And uh, so he, yeah, he's uh, he's very interested to like either here or Vietnam. But dude landed like literally, dude landed like 12 hours. He was in country 12 hours and had two dates set up. Like, dude, how? How? <laughs> how? Like I couldn't even get you at a, a community college. I was trying to get you a speaking engagement just to get you out here. <laughs> yeah, I think that's funny. Like whenever I come out, though, like I end up I booked some work with Adobe a few years back, and I was out there with them, but in San Francisco, I didn't get to go to the Midwest. No, right, no, he had two dates with two different girls out here within twelve Uh-oh. hours of of being in country. I was like, dude, what's what's going on? Now he's got like six more set up as of yesterday. I wish I was a pretty. Oh no, wait, that's women in Thailand. Never mind. <laughs> boys as well. That's a whole industry here. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. So if any of you guys, there's an industry in Thailand called it's basically promotional models, but they refer to them as pretties. I produce a podcast called Bangkok Strange. Me and uh, my friend Woody did a whole thing about this pretty that uh, she got paid to go drink and do drugs at a party, and she ended up dead, surprisingly. But it's really an interesting story. You can check it out. Uh, Bangkok Strange, uh, iTunes, Spotify, all that good stuff. Also, this show, The Beards yep. of Business, is a podcast. Uh, it's not on Apple yet, but it is on Stitcher. It is on Spotify. He blames uh, me. Yeah, Google. yeah app, Apple rejected us. Uh, I don't know why. They know how much I hate them. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I've never had... So I, I've... I think eight active podcasts right now through my hosting. Never had one be rejected before. That's crazy. Yeah. So I, I thought that was, I was like, what's going on? Why, why, why did they reject the podcast? I can't figure it out. Cannot figure it out. Maybe, dude, maybe they do know how much Josh hates Apple. It probably, I'm not joking, dude. I guarantee you they like looked up the name and they're like, oh, no, no, no. F this guy, man. No, 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 no. Steve Jobs is rolling over in his grave that they almost put, you know, my podcast on Apple. <laughs> the hand tab beard. <laughs> That's what's up. A lot of Josh is like, oh, I'm going to go and get a podcast then. They're anti beard. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I think he. I don't think a lot of Josh shaves though. I think that he just he said he can't grow one. Yeah, that's what he said. Like he he did show me. He was on one of our shows once. I think when near the beginning, he's like, "Yeah, I haven't shaved in like three weeks." <laughs> it just doesn't Asian happen. Thing, that's it, it, that's it, you know what are you gonna what are you gonna do? One of my uh, one of my friends here, he's never shaved, never shaved, like ever. And he has no beard, never. 
Wow. He has no facial hair. He's like 38. Zero facial hair. Dude, that's wild. Yeah. It's funny because sometimes I'll see uh, when I'm in when I, my beard was really long and I was uh, I used to ref MMA fights and I would be on. I also had a show in Malaysia as well at the same time. And at one point, I had, my face was on a billboard in downtown Kuala Lumpur and uh, people would recognize me from my beard. And I, one guy actually came up to me one time. He goes, I know that beard. I know that beard. <laughs> I used, to, uh, I used to have a line of beard bomb as well that uh, called Bangkok Beard, but sold really well in Malaysia. Well, it was really funny because, like, you know, like I was an admin on that page with you, and like people would message in and be like, uh, I'm the US division, Dana's in Thailand right now, but I'll have him get in touch with you because <laughs> they'd come through on the messenger. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I had to distribute. I would just bring bags full of Baird bomb. I couldn't. You can't bring the oil on the plane, but the bomb is okay. That that didn't come out right. Right. Yeah. Don't yeah, say that word. The bomb is okay. You can bring that on the plane. So I would just bring a duffel bag full and bring it to my distributor in Malaysia, and they'd put it in all the the hipster barber shops. And they end up now they use that same recipe for pomade down there. Oh wow. A beard wig, such a thing exists, or a, a merkin. Merkin, yeah, yeah. I just found out what that word was from uh, one of my buddies from Pittsburgh not that long ago. It's quite an interesting uh, term, a merkin. I'd love to grow a beard like Josh, but mine won't grow for shit. You just gotta let it grow, my flipping life. You gotta let it grow. Stop That's what shaving. I mean. You've got to get to like, I'm still, I'm near, I'm nearing the end, but the awkward stage at the bottom of my cheeks right now, that's where I get this weird flare out thing going on, but I've got to grow through it. Which is part of I the game. On the back. I have a photo. I, I'm going to see if I can find this. I actually have a photo of Josh and I without much beard. It's in the car, right? It's like our own little selfie. We took Yeah. Yeah, we took it in uh, in the car last time I was in Ohio. What's a Merkin? Josh, you explain what a Merkin is while I go find this photo. So a Merkin uh, was originally first used in movies, um, and it is a wig for your privates. <laughs> and they started using them um, for people that were going through chemo that were wearing wigs, and they wanted to keep also for that as well. That's kind of where it went into and became more popular. But yeah, Merkin was designed in the movie industry. Where the name Merkin came from, I'm sure is that probably the dude invented it. But Did I don't know if you want to be. I don't know if I'd want to be known for that. Was it the movie industry or was it? Was it? Um, I thought it, it went back to brothels or bur- houses of burlesque. Oh, was it? See, I thought it was invented in the movie industry. Let's let me look. I mean, that could be wrong. 17th century i probably am wrong then well that's where the word came from yes i think what happened was because it was like a big uh lice outbreak a lot of uh women of burlesque were getting uh, there it is they were originally worn by sex workers after shaving their mons pubis and are used as decorative items erotic devices or in films by men and women oh because of the french pox syphilis Syphilis with mercury, a Merkin, Gwendolyn used a Merkin to use to hide the side effects of having syphilis. 
So they used to hide their STDs and give it to more people. Oh, there you go. Derived from myrrh skin. Myrrh? What's a myrrh? Foreskin. Oh. I, I can't find this photo of you and I. I know I have it somewhere. I'll use it as our next thumbnail on our next live. It'll be the beards of business. Two beard beardless dudes in a car. <laughs> yeah, two beardless dudes in a yeah, we we had like each of us had like a, a little bit. We had a little bit of uh, a little bit of facial hair, like uh, just scruff. And uh, it, was, it was a long, long time ago, and that that was pre Dapper Villain days. Yeah, I mean, I think was I was I with Kelly then? Yeah, because it was after it was two thousand eleven. I knew you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that was because I, I met I met Kelly in two thousand ten. So. Yeah, so I yeah. think we met in 11 when I moved to Ohio. Yeah, because it was right because I started there in December 2010 and then in, in that next year in 2011. But that's where I realized it was the first realization, like the first eye opening I had when you're like, like, how did that just escalate to this? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm going to Thailand. Yeah, there's no Americans in Thailand. Uh-uh, just... Just lady boys. <laughs> Actually, when I first moved to Ohio, I remember uh, Josh and I had like one of those uh, stepbrothers movie moments. Like, did we just become best friends? Pretty much. And it was over grilled cheese. Was that our first one? Or was it just, we, no, I think we were just hanging out because I was bored at, at work. Yeah, we were just like, we were both doing nothing in the, the common area. And like, yep. like, wait a minute, did we just become best friends? <laughs> and pretty I remember awesome. I went to, should we before we we're wrap we gotta wrap up but before we do i think i'll just tell the uh, melt challenge story real yes. quick for everyone yes. listening i still want to do it and so explain what melt is josh um if you're in cleveland jordan will know absolutely um but if everybody else melt uh there's a lot of ripoffs you've probably seen around where you live but it is a grilled cheese place but it's grilled cheese at the max right so they have the dude abides which is yes a giant giant meatball cut in half and put with like three layers of cheese and toast right Probably so like it is that's my favorite one and it, but you know it's all different types they have a pb and j they call it the kindergartner right it's Lee really fun they have uh they're up to four locations now i think if i'm not wrong and then people have been trying to franchise it and he just won't he's like no i'm not ruining my brand um yeah. and they're the type of place if you have a grilled cheese tattoo you get 10 percent off every time you go in you know, so it, it, that's the kind of atmosphere. It's a fun place. You have to go during the week or you're going to wait two hours. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just loaded grilled cheese, but they have a challenge. Melt challenge, which is a two pound grilled cheese sandwich with like eight, seven or eight different types of cheese. And it's three slices of that really thick buttered bread with like a huge side of fries and a huge thing of uh, coal. So it's ridiculous. It, it's a ridiculous thing. Yeah. And so one of the, we had, uh, we had people at the office from, from our corporate office visiting and they had heard about melt and they were like, Oh, there's like a melt challenge thing. I was like, yeah, I was like, I was thinking about trying it sometime. You know, it's definitely, it's one of those things you gotta like really prepare for. And they are like, Hey, if you do it at lunch, we'll pay for it. And so I'm like, all right, let's go. And, uh, so I'm they're like, all right, we're leaving at like 11. Cause we want to make sure we have enough time. So right. I'm like, I'm out in the, uh, the, in the break area and I see Josh and he's like, how oh, are you doing for lunch? I'm like, yeah, the corporate guys are taking us to melt. They said, if I do the melt challenge, they're going to pay for it. He's like, well, what are you going to do after lunch? Like, I guess I'm coming back to work. <laughs> I so I, 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 work. 
<laughs> I, I, and I'm lactose intolerant. I'm extremely lactose intolerant. So we, we go to melt and I, I eat probably like two thirds of the sandwich and like half the fries and the coleslaw. I can't eat anymore. I'm just completely like I'm in pain. And we end up there. Everyone's laughing. It was funny, but you know, it was, it was a stupid thing to do is I probably ate like 10,000 calories worth of food at this lunch. And we get back to the office and I'm like, I'm just sweating profusely. And it's right. like the middle of winter. And I'm just like, just sweat pouring off me. And I see Josh and Josh is like, you don't look so good, dude. I'm like, yeah, I don't feel so good. He did not look good at all. He's like, it goes so great, huh? I'm like, no, no. <laughs> He's like, I'm like, all right, I'm going to go into the, uh, we have a place called the, uh, the MTC. It's like uh, the data center outside. No, the, the MXC as I called it. Most the extreme MXC. challenge. <laughs> You had to jump over the lake to get there. The the warped wall. The warped wall. The, the... I oh, the, I uh, thought that's what they were always saying. I'm like, why do they call it the most extreme challenge? I mean, it's funny, but <laughs> so the, the, there's no windows for security reasons, and it's it's super cold in there because all the network equipment's in there. So I'm telling Josh, I'm like, I'm not gonna sit at my desk. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go into the uh, MTC or the MXC, and uh, I'm just gonna hide in the back. So literally, like I'm in the back of the uh, the the MTC. It's like super cold in there, and I'm just like laying on the floor, sweating. Like, oh, why am I doing this to myself? I'm like, if there's any network outages, it's just gonna have to go because I, I can't fix it. Right, I'm done. <laughs> and Josh, and like, you said like someone was walking around. Like, have you seen Dana? And you're like, no, nope, no, nope, I think I haven't seen him. Listen, I've, I co- we covered when when you had to cover. We we covered, but then. Actually, let's. But I know we're not gotta get off here. But let's fast forward. Just to what is was it a, a month later or two months later? You went and did it again. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't learn. Yeah. Like a month later. Well, I think and somebody I was paying for work. it. I went with uh, Baltazar and uh, the girl from HR. Yeah, yeah, because I think they were paying for it because she was in town, wasn't she? The HR person. No, she lived. She lived there. No, Baltazar was like, he's like, dude, you did the Mel Challenge before. Oh, yeah. I like, yeah, I tried. Yeah, and Baltazar's like. I'll pay for it if you do it again tonight. Right. He's like 5 p.m. Let's go. I'm like, oh, and Amy's there with me, the, the HR girl. Yeah. She's like, she's like, oh, can I go? What? And Walter's like, oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You know how he's like, absolutely. <clears throat> yeah. So, like, I, he yeah. was, oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, he, he was crazy. He was a good dude. Yeah. Yeah, he was a good dude. Like, but that was when when him and I were we had gone to lunch together and we were walking back and I saw Dana in his Yaris, who's the tagline of that car is it's a car, right? Um, I'm like, where are you going? You're like, I just quit. Uh I'm like, uh, I'm going to Thailand. And he like lost his mind that you would quit a full-time job with benefits and all this stuff. That was my first, like I've always done side hustles, but that was that first click in my head of wow, like that's stuff you can do. Yeah. Right. Like that was that first, like you gave me that first, like it wasn't even you in a sense. Right. But that the situation and I looked at him and I'm like, well, why wouldn't you go to Thailand? It actually makes complete sense. Like it's something new. It's something different. You don't have to have this, you know, blanket, you know, it feels yeah. good when you're in the blanket, but sometimes you need a new blanket or make your own blanket. Like <laughs> yeah, and sometimes just being uncomfortable is, is the important part. And, you know, for me, I remember, uh, the day I turned in all my stuff was like just such a relief, like my computer, my, my RSA security key, ID badge, all that stuff. 
and uh, you know, I came to view like an ID badge as like a, a mark of shame. Like it, it's this thing that it, it's like a oppressive to have to wear. And I remember my supervisor would always be like, "Oh, don't forget to wear your ID." Yeah. You know, and he's like, oh, I got to have it on so people can see it so they know you work here. I'm like, there's 20 people in the office. I'm a huge dude with a beard. Everyone knows I work here. Right. Everyone. Like, I can't get into the rooms I need to work in without it. I've got to have it somewhere. Come on, dude. <laughs> but you know, it was I remember when um, I was just sitting in the office one day and, and they were talking about oh, we need to automate this. We, you know, we need to like really stop doing certain things. And it was, it was more about, you know, becoming, they, they were really pushing the engineers in, in a direction to become more like technicians. Yep. Taking away the opportunity to do like creative work or, or come up with unique solutions. And, and to me, I was just, I remember sitting in that meeting and just being like, oh, this is like the worst thing ever. Like literally you get a six figure job, you know, making a, a good living as an engineer. And I'm just like, I can't do this anymore. And like you said, you, you just kind of get to that inflection point where you're like, all right, I'm done. And I, I don't want to do this. I need to find a more satisfying way. Yeah. And uh, Brian Oaks, Haiti Hunter. Yes. They're putting you in handcuffs and that's exactly what your ID badge is, is at a job. Like that It's your handcuff. And actually, I think I left, and a year later, you quit, Josh. No, so it was you went to work for yes. the car dealership. Yeah, so it was. Uh, I took an opportunity, and uh, listen, I'm an adult; I can make my own decisions. But the opportunity was presented in such a way that this will benefit you, this will help you grow, blah 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 blah. And it did the exact opposite. I was literally making less than twenty two thousand a year, and um, it was only the four of us at the time. But I was the the sole income for a family of four. And I was like, you know, and that's where I really started amping up my resale, my selling business and stuff like that. I'm like, I can't live like this. And I was like, I'm out. I was literally making more selling cars full time. And I was just good at it, but I was like, I was destroying. And I was like, I can't do this. Like, where's my, this isn't a blanket. This is, you know, this is a patch. Like you're, you put a patch on top of my head and be like, have fun. You have, you have, <laughs> You have benefits. <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah. I can't pay for anything. You know, and I think the company Josh and I worked for when we were working together in, in Ohio, I mean, it was just a company that didn't care about it, it, it's the it is the epitome of what a toxic work culture was. And it was a company that didn't care about people and they, they weren't afraid. They they would tell you, no, no, we care about you. We we love uh, everything that you're doing. We want people to be happy but their actions showed the exact opposite. Yep. And I remember I was in, I was in this stupid training called the speed of trust that they brought, they made everyone do. No, it's the, it's the circle. No, no, it's the speed of trust. It was the one with that, where they showed the Arctic expedition video. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. And, Cause and they, the trainers, like they showed like, Oh, there's these two teams that, that are trying to get to the Arctic. And it's the British team with their hierarchical system. In the Norwegian team with their flat, open culture, and they yeah corporate poison exactly, Brian. And so they they show these these two teams, and the British team everyone dies, and the the Nordic team makes it because of their open culture and their flat system. And the trainer you know, they're showing it to this to all the engineers and, and like the high level technicians that that we worked with, 
and they go, which one reminds you of uh, this company, of the management here? I'm like, oh, to be honest, it's the British team, the ones who all died. That that hierarchical system is is exactly like our management here. That's exactly how it's built. And like, no, 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 that's the wrong answer. No, you're <laughs> supposed to see it as the Arctic team because of the open culture. I'm like, we don't have that open culture here. The last guy who tried to use the open door policy to talk to senior management got let go. Right. I'm like, that doesn't exist. And so they never invited me back to another training, which was great. But yeah, my supervisor was like, oh, you, you got to play the game. You got you to play the game if you want to be successful. And, you know, if you want to be a, a middle management schlup for the rest of your life and, you know, live that way, then, hey, go for it. But, but that's not me. Listen, DBAV, don't be a Volpe. <laughs> we'll get into that Absolutely. on our Absolutely. next episode. Um <laughs> So our next episode will be live on Suburban Baird's channel next week. And we'll be going through uh, some of the sourcing stuff. Yeah. And I'm going to do some more research on the stuff even we've looked at so we can get an idea of like learning sell-through rates on some of this stuff and how to figure it out. So Yeah, talking about how to figure out that sell-through and how to sort, how to how to figure out the, the sourcing side. Yeah. I just I want to share Brian's comment one last time before we go. So next week, and uh, like I said, we'll be going through. Josh will have some more research. Uh, remember to subscribe. Uh, links to both of our channels are in the show notes. Again, my channel is much more about small business, micro business, being an entrepreneur, starting and running a business effectively. Josh is all about that resale hustle, getting out there, finding items, selling them creating crazy messes in his garage that he spends days cleaning up going to flea markets with his mannequin great stuff on josh's channel as well guys so have a great i guess for all of you in the u.s evening for everyone watching from asia have a great day and we'll see you next week on suburban bears channel thanks for joining us